Hello and welcome to the Chunda Living Podcast. It is March 2017. My name is Charlie, and I'm seated here with two guests from the Netherlands. I would love for you two to introduce yourselves. Hello, my name is Daphne Heroma. I'm the Dean of the Academy for Digital Entertainment from the NHCV Breda in the Netherlands. And I'm very pleased to be in Chengdu. Hi, and uh, I'm Chris van Dorselaar and also work for NHTV Breda University in the Netherlands. And I'm the international coordinator and we're here with uh, four colleagues in uh, Chengdu. Wonderful. So there's a lot of academic interest in Chengdu, but what the two of you represent strikes me as something particularly interesting. And this is why I was so enthusiastic to invite you onto the podcast. You two work in game design, the game design and architecture department of your university. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So give me a little introduction about the program and about the university, maybe for people who aren't familiar with this field of study or with this university, how would you introduce it to people who aren't familiar? Yeah, we have a, a rather unique program because all our students are trained in programming, art and design and production and they all get the same certificate. It's a four-year bachelor program. We select the students uh, uh, we want to have. So we select students based on their motivation and passion. And we try to uh, educate them as best as uh, possible for the, for the international game industry. And we are focusing on console gaming. So the AAA game industry. Wonderful. So I have done 20 of these podcasts now. And one thing I've never talked about is my occupation, really. And I've spent the last five years working in the game industry here in Chengdu. And it's been a really interesting experience. There's a lot to say about it. But I would love to hear about your perception of gaming in China. So presumably, you come here representing your university in Chengdu. What are you seeking? What are you doing here? How did you end up in Chengdu? Yeah, as an NHCV, we, we are an international institute. So we have chosen two hotspots, uh, namely Brazil and China. And we are here to explore how we could collaborate with China. And collaboration could mean student exchange, lecture exchange, research, joint research, together with the universities, but also with the game industry. And what I have noticed, that there is a lot of going on uh, on the topic of gaming. But the, the main focus here in China is mobile gaming. And uh, as, as we are training students on console gaming, and that doesn't mean that they are not interested or not familiar with uh, uh, um, um, mobile gaming, but it's 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 a different it's a different way of uh, game development. So that's the one thing that we have learned, and uh, we also noticed that the education and the industry is not strongly connected, and that's different in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, the industry is our main driver. So we educate students to become good professionals for the future. And what we noticed over here is that there is a gap. The, there are uh, programs who train students to became, become a game developer, but they are hardly connected with the local industry. And I think, yeah, that's, that's something that could be improved here. And maybe we can step in that gap and try to bridge uh, the, yeah, the, 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 the relationship between industry and education. Offering such a high-level academic program for people specifically interested in the game industry sounds like such a wonderful 
and kind of unique thing. So I, my entire time working in the game industry has been working here in China and traveling, you know, occasionally overseas. But my experience working with hundreds of colleagues in the game industry here in Chengdu is that I have not known even one of them to be a product of specifically a game design program. Yeah. Um, uh, is that is that common or is that, I mean, do you notice that uh, people in the Netherlands, for example, working in the game industry, do they come from programs like yours? How long has your program existed or, or ones like yours? Yeah, our program actually is now nine years, so we are a relatively young program. And I, I recognize what you're saying. Uh, there are a lot of very good art schools and, uh, uh, and train uh, uh, artists for the game industry there are uh, a couple of good uh, science program and they train the programmers but what we we notice that uh, to combine those two you have to you have to combine those uh, uh, expertise to come up with a good game um, those trainings are uh, uh, I think that we are rather unique with offering that training yeah, it's also funny to say that uh, everyone that is working in the game industry now, and when they hear about our games program, they're like, oh, if that existed in the time that I went to school, because maybe you did either visual art or program or computer science. And um, so that is also the students who are at our games program, they realize this, that it didn't even exist like 20 years ago. So they are very passionate and very ambitious because... When they start our program, the only thing that they really want to do is make games. And that's also what they actually do for four years during the bachelor program, make games. Right. And, and, yeah, and we here with two of our colleagues who also worked uh, for many years in the game industry and now uh, joined our educational program. So they can talk from, uh, from their experience. And, and I think that's also very valuable that they can teach the, the, the students in uh, what the really daily life in the game industry means. So maybe we can ask them to answer the next questions. We will hear from them in just one minute. Before oh. we do that, though, I just have uh, one more question, which I'd like to ask you both, yeah. which is just to ask you to describe your experience uh, so far here in China. Do I understand that this is your first time in China? Is no, that right? no, it's not my first time. I've been to Shanghai and Beijing before. First time in Chengdu then? First time in Chengdu. Tell uh, me a little bit about your experience in Chengdu. How, how long have you been here? What is surprising to you about Chengdu, if you can describe the experience of being here? Yeah, uh, we arrived last uh, Monday, so we are here for only a short week. And what I also noticed in Shanghai and Beijing, and also here in Chengdu, the Chinese people are very hospitable. They make a lot of effort in for the meetings. Uh, they, they, there are 10, 15 people joining the meetings. They try to uh, cater us in the best way, give us all the information. And um, they are also very frank. They also say to us, yes, we recognize that we could improve on certain aspects and especially connecting industry to education. And my question is, are they also willing to make the next step? Are they uh, willing to invest in, in the talent that we are trying to educate? Are they able to open their doors for non-Chinese talents entering the Chinese market? That are, are my main questions. So they are very hospi hospitable, very open, but I'm not sure... 
if they are willing to make really the next step. Yeah, and then coming back to your question, what is your impression of Chengdu? Well, for me, it is the first time in China, um, so I can't compare it with any other cities. For me, it's an amazing city. It's huge, lots of people, but on the other hand, also quite relaxed. So um, I don't feel um, like I'm a really stranger here, although I have met only a few uh, foreigners, um, but it didn't feel odd or anything. Uh, people were not staring or I felt like it was you know, safe to walk on the street, uh, even crossing the streets. I didn't find it a problem at all, even though it can be dangerous now and then, I believe. But um, it's it's very relaxed. The food is amazing, uh, indeed very spicy. And also, well, we saw the rabbit hats today. Uh, we didn't give it a try, but um, it looks uh, the food looks amazing and is amazing. Wonderful, great. Well, happy to hear that you've had a good time in Chengdu. So we have some of your colleagues with you that we will switch over to to have them tell a little bit more of the story of your experience here in China. Hello. Hello. So if you can, please introduce yourself. Right. Uh, my name is Lothar, and uh, I'm also the uh, working for NHTV Breda Applied University of uh, Science, and I'm the uh, visual art lecturer here. Yeah. Wonderful. So tell me a little bit about your experience here. So the, the four of you have traveled together to Chengdu. Yeah, I actually act like a large part of the uh, local guide because I'm, I was born in China and uh, apparently I've done a lot of translation as well and you know also coordination for my colleagues basically when they visit the industry and also the universities. So what is your feeling on visual arts in Chengdu on this trip? Have you seen anything which has changed your perception of the game industry in China or visual arts in China? Visual art in Chengdu had always been historically really strong because they had a very, you know, a few really good fine art and the traditional art academies around here. So visual art is really actually one of the selling point and uh, actually one of the strengths as well. Of Chengdu in particular? Yes, yes. Interesting. What schools are those? Uh, they've got at least three or different school or four different schools offering, you know, uh, digital art or traditional art or animation courses which had long-standing history, over 30 years experience in those areas. Yeah. Wow. So you've been, could I say, impressed on this trip? Do you see that kind of cultural heritage in the youth or in professionals who are working in the game industry here in Chengdu or in China? Uh, yeah, I certainly see that part. You know, otherwise there would be no uh, such a huge game industry here, particularly when it comes to you know visual art outsourcing and uh, art development. So yes, there is a strong kind of uh, really heritage in in terms of visual art, particularly from those academies. How does it compare to say the Netherlands or Europe? I mean, I assume that. Art here looks quite different. <laughs> you know, it has uh, very much of an Asian look, but yeah. how would you compare the two? It's a large topic, and it's really broad subject when it comes to compare, you know, the uh, the art academy, and particularly when it comes to visual art in terms of... Uh, and visual art, again, is a large, you know, a broad subject. But when it comes to games specifically, and if you're talking about the same level of students, say year one, year two, I think actually the Chengdu ones in some way, in terms of art, they have better foundation than the European, you know, students at the same age. 
Wow, remarkable. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Is that because, because the, uh, of the education? Yeah, it's the education system is fundamentally different because they receive, most of our students, before they get into the Fine Art Academy, they receive three or four years full-time art training before they actually get into the university. That's one of the main reasons. Yeah. Fascinating. So to my right, we have another guest. Introduce yourself, please. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> my name is Boyan. And I'm also a lecturer in the, at the same university, at NHTV. I teach programming. Wonderful. So tell me a little bit about your experience here in Chengdu so far. Oh, uh, it's been interesting. It's my first time in Asia. So definitely first time in China. Uh, I wasn't prepared for the size. I read about, you know, the size. So I read about 16 million people. But it's different to actually experience 16 million people living in one place. How does it feel? Is it overwhelming? It is overwhelming, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely overwhelming. It takes hours to get from one side to the other. The contrast is high. Um, there is very developed, very, very urban and very rural in kind of the same context or in a road of, uh, I don't know, half an hour of driving. You will see everything. You will see from, from one, uh, yeah, from one, um, contrast to the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, in your field programming, you know, in my head, I feel like China is more well known for engineering and for programming, at least in the games industry, than for being, you know, a creative prodigy. What has your feeling been like, you know, visiting China and analyzing it as a programmer and as a lecturer? Uh, to be honest, I haven't really been able to analyze it because the universities that we saw for the most part were busy with art and uh, the few places where we, where they did have a computer science department or information science department, we didn't really go and see what they were doing. I got a brief look uh, at one school, but they were predominantly busy with image processing, so not really touching on any any game development. And the teams, the, it looks like the programmers are never embedded in those programs. They're, they're always this external part that kind of gets at it. And by that, they have, they have next to zero experience about actually building a game or what goes, be, what goes behind it. So what is the technology that goes behind it? So in some ways, okay, indeed, there is a lot of technology being developed here. We were not necessarily exposed to that. But also game technology is actually not really being developed here all that much. Uh, the engines are all coming from the the states, so the game engines that almost everyone is using, they are coming from the U.S. or they are coming from which, uh, Scandinavia. Which could you name a couple of those? Which are which are some of those engines? Um, Unreal is made by Epic Games. They are based in the U.S. Um, uh, Electronic Arts is uh, has switched completely for all of their titles to Frostbite, which is their own engine. That one is being developed in Stockholm by uh, Dice Digital uh, Illusion Central Europe. Think and Unity is extremely popular, and that one is being developed in Copenhagen. Interesting. So it's mostly Chinese game developers using these um, using these frameworks to create their games rather um, than engineering their own. <clears throat> I think the entire gaming gaming approach to the gaming industry is very different, and we already we already talked about maybe the difference between mobile and um, and console. But I think. The source of that is also the drive. There is different drive between between one and the other. It seems like because the market is so mature in the in the West, uh, the primary drive for many of the the people in the industry, including the the two of us, uh, so me and Lothar, and definitely most of my students, the drive is passion. It's really money. 
Right. So that can take you on a big detour. And some of, sometimes those detours are the ones that create some wonderful creations or create different, different technologies, different engines. So it comes from a different place. And here it seems predominantly because of the, the business culture that it's frequently, it's monetary, the reason. And maybe that's the, the core of it. That is a much deeper cultural issue, I think, that, that strikes well below the game industry itself. And what I noticed in my years working in the game industry in China is that there is a, a low degree of loyalty. And I find that a lot of the people that I worked with kind of would flit between one company and another and, and get a new offer and leave and stay at one company, in many cases for less than a year, for a number of years sequentially, just feeling like, you know, I have responsibility to earn as much money as I can and to climb the ladder as quickly as I can rather than to prioritize some kind of passion project or to build up to create some kind of masterpiece. Whereas my perception of the game industry in the West, in America, where I'm from, is maybe a little bit more idealistic and more about, uh, you know, create something that, that I really hold very highly and, and respect very deeply. So there's, I think there's a little bit of a, a cultural I, difference here that I've observed. I agree 100%. And uh, it might come from the fact that above a certain um, yeah, above a certain salary, a lot of your problems are solved. And you can actually think about what your passion is. And if you are trying to uh, make uh, ends meet, then the whole logic becomes very different. Because I come from Macedonia and I somewhat understand what it what it is or what it would be like to live with that kind of pressure. So, yeah, we shouldn't be quick to judge. Yeah, the economy of the game <clears throat> industry in China is really fascinating. So there's a lot of attention on China being the number one game industry in the world in terms of revenue. So the Chinese game industry is the most valuable. And it also has the largest number of players. And until very recently, it was such that the number of users in China was obviously much more than any other country, but also the revenue per user is competitive with some of the most valuable countries globally. So a lot of developers around the world look at China and just have dollar signs in their eyes. You know, they think like this is such a big market and it's worth so much. But I think what a lot of people don't understand is that the market is worth so much because it is such an incredibly large number of developers in China. It's tens and tens of thousands of developers all across the country, and most of them are really not making much money at all. The way that Chinese game developers tend to look at the domestic market is there are three big players who control 70% of the market, NetEase and Tencent and big companies like these, the biggest companies in, in Asia. And that leaves a very small portion of the pie for the remaining tens of thousands of developers to compete over. So a lot of the game developers in China are not making a lot of money and they're really struggling and trying to become profitable. And we're also kind of coming off of a couple years of very accessible capital. So there are a lot of independent developers in China who have had access to VC capital because um, markets in China have grown so much so quickly in such a short period of time that a lot of them are kind of burning through their runway, you know, and trying to get to a point of sustainability. But it's very difficult because the market is so cutthroat and so competitive. I, I think I've seen the same thing happening in the in the rest. I've seen the same thing happening in in the States and the same thing happening in Europe. I don't think that's extremely surprising. Um, and a big part of that venture capital has been invested by uh, company, by game studios overpromising. So it's not only the blame is not only on one side, 
if you overpromise, then you're increasing the risk, and it, it has created a bit of a bubble when it comes to when it comes to that. And I think we are kind of slowly reaching the end of the bubble. So some companies will definitely fade away. We've seen that they will not be. Yeah, there is not an easy route to be to become the next supercell. There is not an easy route to replace King from the from the market. So I think that especially the mobile market has kind of gone the same direction in in the West as well. And the PC and console market, with which we are as a school uh, more concentrated towards, that one suffers from its own problems. So it's different. There are, there are different issues there, and uh, but they're not any less. It's not necessarily an easier market to break into. Right. So changing gears for a moment, we I had the pleasure to meet all of you last night. So all of you came to kind of give a little exhibition at the Chondu Gaming Federation event last night at Berlin House. And you guys had a really fantastic VR setup. I would love to hear about uh, what you were what you were showing last night. What happened last night? Uh, yeah, we brought three three experiences uh, with us, three VR experiences and a whole lot of PC experiences. Uh, and this is just a small selection of what is being made in the school. Uh, we picked the one that will best demonstrate that will make for a best demonstration considering the time and space requirements that we had. Uh, we might have underestimated how much space we need for one of the VR experiences. Uh, it's the, it was developed uh, by our second year students over one block and then polished up by a research team. So it has everyone's fingers on it. Uh, so it's representative of what we are making in the, in the school. Uh, it's, um, it's one of those things. VR is one of those things that you need to try. It's really hard to explain. It's the premise is super simple. You go down, um, an inner side of a tower. Uh, but, uh, the vertigo that comes with having VR, uh, will make you stagger. Even if you, per you know, deep inside you <laughs> that you are just walking in the same room where I worked, walked before and it's, everything is flat and there is no chance to fall, but very quickly <laughs> you, you start, you know, you, you feel the, the vertigo. As soon as you look down, you feel the vertigo. It was like a fear of heights simulator. <laughs> That's exactly, like what it yeah. looked like to me. Absolutely. And I've noticed in other games, I mean, I have never experienced, I've never seen anything like what I saw last night with, with the game which you demoed. But I have noticed in other VR games, you know, the feeling of fear, of see, a feeling that nothing is below you. And it's really convincing. Yeah, Obviously, it blocks all the senses. Right. So to people who haven't experienced this, who haven't experienced VR, you can't really explain this feeling of presence, you know, feeling like you're in another place. You're physically not in the place that you are actually in. But it can be pretty scary, you know, pretty convincing. And I feel like the game, which I saw you guys demo last night, takes that to the, to the greatest degree that I've seen. And it looked really scary. And there was something really innovative to me, which was attaching the sensors to ankles of people who were playing the game. Yeah, we are doing a lot of with, lot with experimental. Um, we leave enough room for for experiments like that, experiments in gameplay to happen. And this is this is where it's this is where it's important for uh, to have a design as integrated part of the part of your your studio as an integrated part of your um, education. Because we, without design, the only thing that you can do is a copy of another game. So this is the this is the part where there is someone on the team who whose sole purpose being there is to just innovate. And 
that's the kind of talent that we are that we are producing as well. So yeah, we 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 brought one more experimental uh, game where our students made a, a control themselves, and we actually did that for a couple of weeks. There was one project where about uh, 120 students or so were making uh, games with custom controllers, and the one that we brought was the one that was easiest to transfer. That was the four-player rocket game. No, 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 not that one. Um, uh, it was an it was an octopus game that I didn't show because the controller broke in the during the flight. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, it was a very simple game where you where you control one tentacle of uh, of the octopus. So each tentacle maps to one button on the controller, oh, okay. and you need to use all eight to move forward. Yeah. Okay, it sounds a little bit like Octodad. Uh, it's a lot like Octodad. Yeah, that's a fantastic game. Yeah. We're really, really one of the one of the best games that we've played at, at CGF events. So, <clears throat> I guess I'll move then to what do you guys hope to get out of China? Oh, then if, I'll, if I'll, everything... give, I'll give back the the, the, the my sure. So, in in an ideal picture, what does your school's relationship look like with China going into the future? Yeah, I'll try to answer that question. Um, because we are in international education, we want to inspire our students uh, with all international uh, examples of industry. So China is, uh, of course, a big continent and very important and has a different culture. So I would like to achieve uh, a regular student exchange. So students from the Netherlands... Uh, doing an internship with a company, games company, game studio over here, or an exchange with a university to learn the Chinese way of studying. And the other way around, so Chinese students coming to us so that we have really a, a flow of international experience. And also for lectures, I think it's very important that lectures, when they are out of the game industry for a couple of years, get the opportunity to keep keep inspired and um, and that they do also yeah internships or projects uh, uh, with the game studios so why not with uh, China game studios and the third thing is um, uh, collaborative uh, research uh, you were explaining a lot of, about the, the China market we can learn a lot about it and uh, we can we can test uh, for example with VR what is VR doing and um, is VR really emerging the experiences? And how can we uh, use VR for other purposes than only playful gaming? So that are opportunities we would like to uh, set up also in China. Great. There are so many interesting facets to China in, in the gaming industry, in both VR and specifically in consoles, which you guys work in. So you guys work specifically on console development. And I guess I'll just start with consoles by saying China has such an unusual relationship with consoles. So as you guys probably know, consoles have been banned in China for a very long time. And that hasn't changed until just about two years ago. So it was only very recently that uh, Xbox and PlayStation have been able to sell legally in China. And so they've been trying to well, they have been publishing games specifically for mainland China, which are translated into simplified Chinese, which is the, the language of mainland China. And they have had to compete with illegal imports. And it's been this kind of crazy market where the gray market, which is illegally imported games and consoles from Hong Kong and Taiwan and Japan as well, 
tend to be the dominant platforms here because the, the legal ones are more expensive because those have had to pay tax. So it's kind of a crazy relationship that China has with consoles. And there's still kind of the question that are legal consoles really viable in China? I mean, is it is it really going to be successful? To give you guys an example, the Xbox One is available here and it costs like $500. Like nobody wants to pay it. Nobody's buying it. So it's almost like it's it's available legally, but pretty much dead in the water. Uh, yeah, I I am. Yeah, we are aware that that's recently new that consoles are available. Um, we've seen something similar happen in Brazil, where consoles are available, but they are taxed as a as a as a gambling game. So they fall under the same category. So they, I think, the Xbox, the PlayStation Four at launch was roughly around uh, one thousand US dollars. So, <laughs> so, crazy. so that completely that completely kills the market. That completely destroys the the market. Um, the Xbox One, I guess, started at four hundred. So if it's if it's five hundred here, okay, that's that's uh, somewhat similar to, I guess, the price in Europe or it's some countries in Europe. Uh, the bigger problem that I that I see is that a lot of the content here is recycled, and the content itself, the games themselves, are in this gray area of what is uh, <clears throat> what is copyrighted and what is what is not. And so how well they abide the IP laws. Now these consoles uh, are produced, and there is a gateway, and that gateway is either Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo. So they have a pretty strong stance when it comes to IP. So how will that work in a, in a market where Sony needs to say whether this game will be for sale or not? That's, that's to be seen, because if you just take a game, change the mechanics slightly, and, and if you offer the same thing that already exists, Sony does not necessarily see that as an enrichment on the platform. So they just might decide to not let you publish it. Sure. Uh, so it will be, I think it will not be an easy switch for, for games. Maybe as a, as a market to sell games here, uh, I actually don't know. I really don't know. But from our perspective, development of uh, of console games in China, it will ta- take a long time for, for that thing to, to mature. You will need to build up similar teams with similar structure like the ones that you have in the, in the States and in Europe and, and everywhere else where you make games. Have you guys been to um, Digital Square, which is where people buy games? Uh, There's a place in Chengdu where people go to buy games. We have not. It's if you guys have time, I strongly recommend you visit this place. It's a digital market, so it's um it's a tall building which is filled. Each floor is it's a marketplace which is filled with different electronics products. So the first floor is like computer monitors and laptops. The second floor is like cameras. The third floor is like TVs and games, and it's the place where people go to buy games locally. And it's really interesting. You can see there what kind of games are popular. Um, they have little booths which sell um, the HTC Vive, which is the VR device which you guys were using last night. And there actually are some VR cafes in China. So I don't know if, if this is very uh, common. It's, it's, it's something that, that I'm seeing for the first time. Uh, and it was explained to us that it exists and it, that, it, that it works. And it seems like it's actually a viable, uh, it's a viable use of VR. Now, the, the question is, if you read the EULA of the games, they probably explicitly prohibit 
someone uh, using their game in, in that way. So what what happens? You know, the VR market is getting is it's moving there, it's moving there, and there is one viable model. Yeah, but that's that's a viable model that we you can only justify if you play by the rules. If the person making that content earns something of that content being being shown to that many to that many people so the only way that this particular business model is economically viable is if you can break all the rules in the way that china does so i'll tell you the way that the vr cafe works here and there are dozens at least maybe a hundred of these in chengdu there's very very many of them so what they do is they rent an apartment which would be like an apartment building. So it's not zoned to be a commercial space in most cases. Okay, so that means first gray area is, uh, it's not a legal business place. This is, there are many gray areas okay. here and I'll just kind of walk you through them and you'll, you'll see how, how difficult it would be to do this business outside China where you would otherwise have to follow all the rules. So the first one is that it's, it's zoned illegally, which no one really cares. This is a common thing in China. So you go into kind of a residential type place in most cases, and it'll be an apartment kind of like the hotel room that we're in, but not as not as fancy. And it won't have much furniture. And what the places that I've been to have is they have, they all have HTC Vives and um, they are hanging from the ceiling. So they have like a rigging setup where the wires are coming from the ceiling and they have usually four or six or eight of these setups in one room. And then they have people who are managing it. They have all the VR games loaded onto the computers. Many of them are pirated, by the way. And the ones which they are paying for are on Steam. And so they'll have like a menu of games. And so usually you pay anything from 60 to 100 RMB per hour, which is eight to 10, eight to 12 dollars or so. So it's very inexpensive compared to what you'd pay in the West. And so from their perspective, they're using a PC, which is probably something like $1,500. And then they have the HTC Vive, which is another $800 or so. So it's about $2,500 or so for each one of these setups. And if they can charge, you know, 10 or $15 an hour, and they have four or six of these in one location, you know, if you do the math, it makes sense as a business, it's possible to make money doing this. But if you take this outside of China, and you have to pay commercial rent, and you have to license the games for this kind of commercial use, and go through all those kind of steps, it becomes much more difficult. And that's why, in my experience, what I've noticed is that most of the people using VR in the West are like, hardcore gamer types. And most of the people using VR in China are visiting these inexpensive places and just experiencing VR there. Um, there is something to be learned uh, from that, I guess. That means that the the market of people that want to experience VR is a lot bigger than the market of people that are currently experiencing VR. So that definitely is a, is a learning opportunity for, for the West to see that uh, maybe a different structure makes more, more sense because... Uh, it's expensive. VR is expensive per minute. It's quite expensive for for owning the buying the device to have it in your home. And I actually have the whole setup at home, uh, not with a Vive because uh, in the Netherlands rent uh, per square meter is a, is an issue. So no one has enough room in their house to put uh, the HTC Vive. But I have the Oculus uh, from uh, from a colleague, uh, and the games are expensive. 
and they last they're short they last for like half an hour or one hour of experience and you pay full price you pay 60 euros for that they're never on discount uh so <clears throat> it makes it even for for people in the west it may it's still quite an expensive hobby um i have an example with um with a company that uh, that helped us break into the brazilian market uh sim similar in brazil um games are parroted and for example the android market uh, is almost 100 percent uh, piracy so that means that on our balance sheet uh, brazil was showing up with zero earnings and we could see from the amount of uh, from our stats that lots of people are playing our game in brazil but we are not making any any money of that uh, and then we got contacted by someone who basically offered a subscription model similar like uh like Spotify, where we can we can put our game there. Anyone that is subscribed to that one can can actually uh, can play the game, and then at the, at the end of the month, from their uh, phone bill, certain amount will come will come to us. And now for two years, I'm <laughs> every month I'm getting two hundred euros on the bank, <laughs> on the bank account from Brazil. Uh, that makes which, a lot of sense. China is very similar. You know, a lot of Western game developers, when they come to China, they learn very quickly and sometimes very painfully that the same business model, which works outside of China, often does not work inside China. And this is why mobile gaming is so big in China, because China was one of the first countries in the world to really optimize free to play. And the reason why is because in China, you have never really been able to sell a game for an upfront cost. You have always had to have it be an online game with microtransactions. And the reason why is because that's not a type of game that you can easily pirate. Any kind of game that is an upfront cost where you download the game, that's going to be pirated immediately in China. So it's not really that commercially viable. And that's why China has had to innovate these retention mechanics for online games for a very long period of time. And that's why a lot of the biggest international mobile game developers like Supercell have looked to what China does because China has such a long history with this particular business model because that's the one that works here. Yeah, and I've heard that it's that it's not all that easy to to handle your your payments or at least at some point it wasn't to figure out I don't know Apple Pay maybe had too many obstacles in being in being properly implemented so this is another way to handle the payments so maybe some some part comes from there. But yeah, that's I can I we are well aware that that's the that that's the case and that yeah there is a lot there is a lot to learn and if you want to break it into the into this market then these are the rules by, by which the market plays. The question is whether that thing is uh, uh, is interesting to our students, whether that thing is interesting to Dutch companies or not. Some are doing I I'm sure that some are doing well on this market. When I was running my company, we didn't do well. <laughs> on the Chinese market, that bit, that bit I know. This is where Western companies come to get killed <laughs> in the gaming industry. China is a very, very competitive cutthroat um, market, which is very difficult to understand. And that's why most of the Western companies in the gaming industry who have found success in China have had their hand held by a very experienced Chinese gaming industry veteran. There's almost no examples of Western developers just coming into China rogue and just finding success because it is so incredibly difficult to do that. The cultural gap is so large and there's a lot of um, 
regulatory obstacles to face. You have to register your game in China. You have to deal with the government. You have to go through a lot of steps which are not required in a lot of other countries and really demands a high degree of understanding of how the Chinese system works and how Chinese gamers and markets and platforms are different from those you find outside China. Yeah, and to be honest, uh, this is all interesting. <laughs> uh, and I'm curious about stuff like stuff like this, uh, how we do, how different markets work, what you can apply for that. But at, at current, uh, it's a, basically it's a question for our students. And our main uh, main reason for visit was collaborating with, with companies and with universities that already know how to work uh, this particular market and what is it that we can collaborate, what is it that we can do, what is it that we can do together. Right. Uh, rather than rather than us trying to break by ourselves into this market or totally. open one more school here. Sure, sure. So, so I could talk, I think we could talk all day about uh, China and the game industry. There's so much to say here. But I'm going to start to wrap this up. And I'm going to ask you guys, for anyone who's listening to this, who's interested in learning more about what you're doing, or for someone who's interested in... Um, maybe going to your school and becoming a student or someone who works in the Chinese gaming industry who has a hand to help you guys out. What's the best way to learn more about what you guys are doing and to potentially get in touch with you if you guys are open to uh, outsiders saying hello? Okay. Yeah. First of all, check our website, uh, nhcv.nl. I think uh, on that website, you can find all our programs. Um, there is a, a clear procedure for students who want to study full-time with us, so that's on our website. But we also offer a one-year master program, and that's also focusing on uh, um, st uh, uh, people who already have experience in the game industry. So that could be of added value, it is a one-year program. And could be of added value to uh, for also for Chinese game developers to add more uh, knowledge to their skill set. Another thing is that we are always open for uh, giving trainings in company trainings or executive trainings. We can do that here in China, but we can also invite a group of, of, of Chinese uh, into Holland. And then we can also do a, a tour uh, to Amsterdam and the windmills and eat stroopwafels and uh, haring. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities to, uh, uh, to work together and to explore, but I would like to uh, suggest to look at our website uh, www.nhcv.nl. Great. Well, I'll be sure to link to that in the post notes for yeah, this podcast. Yeah, that would podcast. be nice. Yeah. Yep. And I'm just so grateful that you guys got in touch with me. It was great to kind of hear from you guys out of the blue and then suddenly meet and what you guys are working on is super exciting i really enjoyed the vr exhibition last night i know that everybody else there did as well so thank you so much for coming and doing that and it's greatly appreciated and i hope you guys have a lot of success in working with china thank you but we also enjoyed uh, last night and maybe in the future we can uh, meet up again and if you are in the netherlands please pay us a visit thank you so much uh -huh.